Hey, friends. Hi, this is Karen Anderson, and I am an associate publisher with Morgan James Publishing. I'm a strategic book coach, and I am fortunate to be a guest with John Hewlin on his podcast, Relationships and Revenue. So, John, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world, representing many disciplines, about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled to have each and every one of you with me today. And as you heard from that outstanding introduction, I have the one and only Karen Anderson with me. Karen, how are you today? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Oh, doing much better than I deserve. That's the truth. (laughs) So, folks, as you heard from the introduction, Karen does a variety of things, but they are book related. And you guys know how I feel about books. I'm very much a reader, have been. I would like to say my entire life that would not be true. I was when I was young. And then basically the rest of my schooling years, I read because I had to, not because I wanted to. And then probably 15 to 20 years ago is really when I started reading for me. And it's it started more with novels, and I've sure. kind of shied away from novels. I don't really read novels anymore. It's just kind of not my thing. And the things that I read are things that I'm both interested in and things that I think are going to help me grow. And so I'll <laughs> just jump in and make this interesting because I would, please I'll go. I would challenge you on reading novels, okay? Because I recommend to anybody in the nonfiction world to read fiction. And the reason I do that is because the thing that's most compelling and most powerful for people is story. And the best Mm. novels are really good with story. And so I read fiction. I I publish, write, coach in 100% in the nonfiction world. I read fiction every day because I never never want to lose the power of story. Okay, folks. Now, what what you can't tell unless you know how to read my face is that the wheels are turning as Karen's sharing that. And the first thing that comes to my mind when she says that, the power of story, immediately I start thinking about, okay, how is this going to help me as a speaker? Because mm-hmm. as a speaker, that's how we captivate people is with stories because that's what people remember, it are is. stories. It is. That's why I, I, I think, um, like I said, I, I, I live in the nonfiction world. But to me, the most powerful nonfiction is what engages you what's emotionally connected. Um, and, and the reality is, is if you eliminate story, you typically have a textbook. And like yeah. you, most people don't like reading textbooks <laughs> because it's just information and it's not engaging. So, right. so no matter what you're doing, your message, whether it's via book or, or speaking or whatever it is, it's, it's always about story. Okay, folks, I guess the interview is done. We can just <laughs> stop right now. <laughs> Because if you can't find something to apply to your lives in these short couple of minutes that we've talked, we need to have an offline conversation (laughs) because there was plenty there. 
And I can promise you, I'm going to go back to this episode. I'm going to go back through it and I'm going to be writing notes down because I know there's some nuggets in there already that if I wasn't the host, I'd be writing down. Well, it really, <laughs> it's just, it's really how people connect. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the best, the best books are ones where you're, you're really emotionally connected. Mm. And again, that, that comes through story. So people want yeah. information like they, they want, they, they want it. And so I'm not saying only story. I'm just saying it has to be a balance no matter what, no matter what you're doing in order to yeah. be engaged. I mean, I that's see. not true at a dinner party as much as it is um, in a nonfiction book. Sure. You know, I, I don't know why this just kind of hit me all of a sudden in the nonfiction world. Yes. The information part, that's the what, mm -hmm. but that's not, that's not enough to keep me there. I need the why. And I think that's where the story comes in. The story is the why. Yeah, it is. So a little bit about me, and this is kind of a fun illustration. So I wrote a book with my husband and we're actually still married, which is a miracle in itself. But I wrote a book with my <laughs> husband called The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. Mm. And the book's done pretty well. And so one of the things that I, the reasons I think that book has done really, really well when you, when you think about it is Steve had a brilliant idea. It, it was really a great idea. He was doing some, he wanted to write a book and he had a wife in the book business. So he really wanted to write a book. Yeah. And he isn't, he was in insurance technology, which I find less than exciting, but I, you know, if you're in it, um, you know, that's your thing. I'm sure people <laughs> thrilling, but he ended up um, wanting to do a book about risk because that's what insurance people mm. do. Talk about risk. Yeah. Yeah. And so Steve was sort of had a counterintuitive approach where he felt like the, that the biggest risk that businesses were taking were, were that they weren't taking enough risk. And so the idea was that, you know, you would get into business, you take risk, particularly as an entrepreneur, you take risk, you get new business and you risk and risk risk. And then all of a sudden you, all, you have infrastructure and you have HR and you have all these other things. And often businesses will start taking less and less and less risk because they're kind of protecting what they've gotten. And so right. Steve's really looking at how companies handle risk, particularly bigger companies and looking at the companies, um, you know, like uh, Blackberry that went out of business, like, right. You, you never would have thought that they would go out of business um, in, in their heyday. And so he's really looking at businesses' approach to risk. And he came across the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos had written for the last, at that time, the last um, 18 years. And he looked, he read them as a narrative. So mm. most people were just reading them when they came out annually and they were fine. But he took a 30,000 foot you know, view, stepped back and read them as a narrative. And he came home one night and he said um, he was doing research for his risk book. And parenthetically, I mean, I love the man to death. He's a great man. We've been married for 48 years now. So I, I do Yay. love him. Um, but he wrote like it was the most boring book you've ever seen. And, I, <laughs> and like it was painful. And so, I mean, he's a tech guy. So like it's fine. And he's a speaker yeah. and he's a communicator. He's right. He's all, all of those things. But when it came to the book, it eh, wasn't his strong suit. So he came home one night and he was like, well, I was doing research for this book um, on risk. And I came across the shareholder letters that Bezos wrote. And he said, you know, I, I'm, I, I read them through 
And he sort of talks about how he grew Amazon, you know, through the course of the letters. And so I thought I would put it together as a white paper and give it away as a free white paper. Mm -hmm. Actually, honey, that's your book. (laughs) That's your book. And he was like, oh. So the story behind it was he compiled all this information. Now, most of the time, shareholder letters are not like super invigorating and fun to read. Um, And Jeff Bezos is a brilliant, right? He's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant writer. But Steve came in and so he did this analysis of each of the letters. Mm. It was very much a summary and an analysis. And we were continuing on that boredom threshold, you know, like they were, what he was writing was, was awful. And, and so I, of course, lovingly told him that. (laughs) And, (laughs) And, and I was just like, honey, I was like, here's the thing. Nobody cares what he did in 1997. Nobody cares what he did in 2004. No, like you care, but nobody cares. I said, can you step back and can you extrapolate principles? Can you mm. find out what he did that might be applicable in other ways? And he, he, he gave me the steer in the head like, look. And he was like, well, that's not the way I've been doing it. I was like, I know. It's okay. I know. Um, and so he <laughs> came back. And, and what he did was... He, we took that analysis and we were like, okay, what are the principles that you can take away? And we ended up with 14 principles. Mm. And, then, um, and then in my very kind, loving way, I looked at him and said, can you do me a favor? Just get out of the way and let me write this book. Like now that I've got all the information I want, just, just let me do it. <laughs> and so wanting to stay married, he said yes. And so- Wise man. Yeah, that's what I told him. And so, I mean, I've, I've just been in the book world for, you know, what, almost 30 years now. And so, you know, writing the book then was really the challenge was like, how do you make this analysis of shareholder letters interesting? Mm-hmm. And we got the principles. And then what really made it come together was really the, the power of story. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, this is a bit of a spoiler alert. But one of the things that we did in the book that was was really fun, and I hope it's okay to talk about the book. I hope you please do. We were going to talk about it anyway. Okay. (laughs) One of the things that had been really influential for Steve and me was um, Ron Howard's movie Apollo thirteen, and we loved that movie, and we thought it was was interesting because a Ron Howard did a, a great job. It was a great movie, but it was really the story of the astronauts that went into to space that nobody was really paying much attention to. And then mm. when the explosion happened, it shifted. They didn't meet their goal, which was to land on the moon, but right. they got the guys back safely. So if you go back to that movie, the very last thing that it says in that movie is NASA considered the Apollo 13 mission its most successful failure. It failed yeah. in meeting, getting, you know, getting the goal, which was landing on the moon, but it was successful in terms of uh, getting the guys back. And then that became foundational for how NASA changed things and did things after that. And so part of what we did with the Bezos letters was we really looked at that idea of successful failure because that's all tied into risk. And mm-hmm. then looked at the Bezos letters that he had written through that lens of risk and what was successful failure. And that became the first principle in the book. And so it was really that story about looking at successful failure. And then at the end of the book, Again, spoiler alert, Jeff Bezos loves space. And yeah. uh, 
that's his passion. Um, Amazon, I don't think he, he set out to create Amazon as much as he created, set out to create a way to fund Blue Origin because he loves space so much. <laughs> so, and so at the end of the book, then it comes back to that whole idea of risk and successful failure. And, you know, looking at what happened with Amazon, which he grew as business, but that, you know, really what happened with his business was he ended up, you know, funding Blue Origin. And, you know, that's made a huge difference because his goals were different than just selling people books or just selling people stuff on the Internet. Right, right. Well, it's, it is amazing how you can head one particular direction and because of a variety of, of circumstances and things that happen, your trajectory could be going way off in a different direction. And that might not be a bad thing. You Correct. thought this was how you needed to go, but going over this way ended up being much better. Yeah, that's really true. And, and that's really part of it. And Steve's better on the details than I am. But um, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Amazon did this thing. I think it was called a Fire Phone, if I remember. It was like their very first phone that they did. And it was a separate phone. This was years ago. It was a separate phone that you would only use to shop for Amazon. Like that's <laughs> what it was. And I think it was a $178 million failure. Like it was a disaster. What they discovered was that nobody wanted their own phone for just shopping. <laughs> right, right. Surprise. I mean, they literally couldn't give it away. Like it was just, it was a yeah. go. But what it <laughs> was is that ended up being the foundation for creating um, the Echo and, and Alexa. Oh, and interesting. So, so you go, okay, I think they've done pretty well with the Echo and Alexa. They and, have. Um, and so they wrote off this huge failure, but they learned from it and they grew from it and it's made a difference. So, you know, it's really looking at, and so I think that's part of those, those stories are what makes that book work um, because it's not just information on they did this in 1997 or this in 2006. You know, it's mm -hmm. what they did, how they did it, why they did it, and then extrapolating those principles so that, that anybody can use those principles in their business. For sure. Now, when did you guys publish this book? It came out four years ago. So, oh. yeah, it came out right before COVID, which was great timing. Uh, <laughs> it came out in September of 19, you know, but but it's still doing well. And um, and I think it's just it's because there are principles in there that people can use to apply for their businesses. For sure. For sure. And it's now, an folk, what's that? It's an easy read. So, yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, folks, I have read the book. And as I told Karen before we started recording, I gave my copy away because oh, you guys know how I am. That's well, you know, I, I don't know why it took so long, Karen, but I had an epiphany about five years ago because I'm the I'm a very enthusiastic reader. And so as I read, I get excited about it. I tell people, well, that's infectious. And so they want to read and ask they could borrow it. Well, more times than I care to remember, I would not get the book back. And we get very frustrating for me. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it sort of dawned on me one day. I don't know why, but it did. I mean, it's its almost as if the heavens parted and God spoke directly to me. It's like, start buying two copies every time. One for you and one you're going to give away. That way, you know, it's going to be going to somebody. You're not worried about getting it back. Very first book I did that with, I actually... Hold on, I actually have a copy right here. Oh, that's great. 
very first one I did was The Power of Moments mm. by Chip and Dan Heath. That's the first one I bought two of. And when I gave it away, I told the person, I don't want it back. This is your book to keep forever or pass it along. Right. Yeah, that's the high. Thank you. That's the highest compliment. That's the highest compliment for somebody to say, uh, you know, this I appreciated this book and I think you will, too. So yeah. now the interesting part about that particular book that I gave away and I lost track at one point, I know it had been passed seven times on two continents. That's great. How fun is that? Yeah. Now, there's no way in the world if I just loaned that book to somebody and got it back that that ever would have happened. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. And that's that's very kind, too. So. So that's that's what I try and do now when when I buy books, I buy at least two copies because I'm always giving stuff away. Plus, I have an excuse to give them away here on the on the show. So that's always fun. Yes. And happy to make a book or two available for your audience if you want to give them away. We would love. Oh, to. you know, we're going to do that for sure. So folks, be prepared. That's coming. You're going to be able to get a copy of the book that Karen was just talking about. And I'm excited for you guys to get a hold of it because it's really, really good, especially for those of you who are either A, in business for yourselves or B, are thinking about it. Fantastic yeah. book. Yeah. I, I just recommended it to somebody. I mean, I know I wrote it, but um, I recommended it to someone. It's a little self-serving, even uh, though it's still a good book. <laughs> but they just they had just opened a new business. And I was like, well, let me bring, yeah. you, bring you a copy because, you know, and again, my the position Steve and I both took is love or hate Amazon. Like, because there are a lot of people that hate Amazon. They've it's done true. something right. They've done they something have. right. And so it's really, it's not primarily about Amazon. It's really looking at things that will help a business grow. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, the title, that's your bait. That's not your hook. The hook is what the book is about. I mean, the hook is what the book is about. That's it. That's that's the meat of it there. That's what once people get into it, they'll see that. And they're like, oh, okay. So yeah, it's a little about Amazon, but not really. No. Yeah. And um, and that's I mean, and, and it was actually fun. I, I maybe that's the right word. It was fun writing this book with Steve. <laughs> because part of what happened was is, you know, he had the concepts and I had the words. And so it was it was fun. Mm -hmm. It was fun to work together. Um and he, you know, he you know, we played off each other well. And so, and, and then, that's good. and then he, I mean, it's his expertise. So he's the one that speaks on it. Um, but I was just be able to pull it together for him. Nice. And I, I don't cook. So, you know, I, I just like all this book. <laughs> <laughs> he cooks. So that's, that's a good thing. All right. All right. See, folks, we're getting insights into the yeah, Anderson really, household here. That's right. Now, now let's see. I was going through as I was getting ready for the interview. You didn't start out in the book world. From, from what I understand, that, now you correct me if I'm wrong, you were a marriage and family therapist. I was. For a while. Yeah. Okay. How does someone, now I see the, the serving people side. I get that part of it. But outside of that, I don't see how you go from that world to publisher. Sure. Well, for me, it was a it was a really natural leap. So yes, I've always been somebody who wanted to help people, and I wanted to help people communicate well, and I mm. felt that that was really important. And so um, I got I got my master's, and then I did a I did a two year clinical intensive training 
And um, it was called Problem Solving Therapy with a man named Jay Haley. And hmm. um, he's passed away now. And his then wife, Chloe Madonnas, who ended up doing stuff with Tony Robbins. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> so I did this training, like, again, this was ages ago. And it was very, very focused on problem solving. So you're working with a family system and you were helping people to get from point A to get point B. You were f- helping them figure out what the problem was and how to, how to solve it and what would be mm-hmm. ways to solve it. So I really liked that modality. It was very, it was very systemic and because um, people aren't in a vacuum, you know, you don't do mm-hmm. things on your own and yeah. you're in a family no matter what. And so, um, so I loved doing that and I, I loved being a therapist and, um, and so, but Steve was in the insurance business. He was working for my dad and he was looking to do kind of something else. And we heard mm. about a marketing training. It was direct response marketing with a man named Jay Abraham um, in LA. And mm. so Steve said he wanted to do this training. And I said, great. It was not cheap and nothing Jay does is cheap. It was not cheap. And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go with you. And so he said, great. So we went to it. I went sort of as the observer to see what he was getting into. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with direct response marketing. And part mm-hmm. of what happened was it, direct response marketing is about defining a problem that needs to get solved, helping come up with a solution and helping people, you know, overcome that resistance to, to get to where they, they need to be. Mm-hmm. Assuming ethics, you know, that you've got a good product or good service. It's about helping people understand that, that, you know, what you're offering, how it's going to benefit them, what the future's like, all the things that I had done as a therapist. Now I could say, oh my gosh, that's true in marketing. And there was less liability. And so <laughs> at the time, um, everybody was doing direct mail. Like, so this, this mm-hmm. is me. This is showing you how old I am. People were doing, this was pre-internet. This was direct mail and it was very expensive. So to mail, yeah. uh, to mail a piece of mail, that was probably costing anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar per piece. So if you're marrying thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of mail, it had to be good. It had to be, right. it had to be compelling, it had to be all of those things. And so I found that I was a really good editor um, because mm. I listen, you know, I could read something and listen and go, oh, this is missing. This, like it's what I did as a therapist. And so I ended up working in um, indirect response marketing and copywriting and compelling people to take action, all of those things. And a friend came along and said, well, I know that you can write. I know you can edit. I've got somebody that needs a co-author on a book. Would you be interested in helping them? And I was like, sure, why not? And so I ended up um, co-authoring some books for this particular publisher. And then I ended up um, self-publishing my own book because I honestly didn't think anybody would pick it up, but I didn't ask. Yeah. I did it. But again, in those days, um, and it's one of the things I think is still true now, is people focus on the self-publishing so that, you know, it's, it's all about self and you get all the control. But the other side of that is you have to learn to be a publisher. And so um, I kind of learned how to be a publisher. And then I got picked up by um, Thomas Nelson as an author. And then mm-hmm. I went to work for um, Regnery Publishing doing um, on the publishing side. And then... And so I just got immersed in the book world. So I've kind of done it all. So I self-published, so I knew that part. And I was traditionally published. So I did the whole Dog and Pony show as a you know published author with a big house. And then I worked for a publisher um, doing all sorts of things in publishing. And so I kind of had kind of done it all. And then, um, then I had a season, which happens, um, of caregiving. So you mm. get to age and 
we lost Steve's sister and his brother and my mom and his mom, like oh, some wow. had to do it. So I took this season and did caregiving. And then it was really, I think it was probably around, oh, it was probably around 2015. Um, and I have a, a dear friend, Brian Kurtz. And Brian was doing a tribute conference. Um, Marty Edelston had passed away. He was the founder of Boardroom. And all these marketing copywriting people were, were coming together. And he did an event called the Titans of Direct Response. And mm. so Abraham was there and Dan Kennedy was there. And like everybody, everybody who was in direct response was there. And I remember talking to a girlfriend and I, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been working for a long time. And I'm like, it's kind of like a high school reunion. Like I, I really <laughs> want to go. And, and, but there's no reason for me to go. Mm. And so she said something that changed my life. She said, Karen, you know better than most, life is short, get up there. And I went, okay. So I went and I promise I'll, I'll wrap this up in a second. But I, I went and um, the first person that I ran into was, um, was Brian with a young man named Ryan Levesque. And so anyway, I connected with Ryan and ended up ghostwriting his book called Ask and um, got back into the book world and started ghostwriting and then um, David Hancock, who's the founder of Morgan James. I met him through Dan Miller and mm -hmm. said, David said, watch me. I was like, ah, no, like, mm, you can't afford me. <laughs> he was like, well, actually, I'd like to make you an offer. So he came back and he made me an offer. And that was eight years ago. And so I, I spend my time basically in two areas. One, I, I'm associate publisher with Morgan James. So I'm evaluating manuscripts. I'm helping people make sure that their, you know, their book is ready to be published, that, you know, it's, it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I mean, I evaluate manuscripts pretty much for a living. Um, but then I have another side of me, I do book coaching. So if somebody says, mm -hmm. oh, a manuscript, or I've got an idea or whatever, and I don't know if it's where it needs to be, then I can come alongside them and, um, as a book coach and help them get their manuscript better. Because so one of the things, one of the things that's really um, people are talking about now is AI and is yes. AI to write your book for you. And I'm, I'm back to where I was, which is AI doesn't have stories. Like AI doesn't know how to do the inspirational part yet. Right. I'm up with ways that you can communicate better, but it doesn't know your experience. And so I really believe that, that the cream's going to rise to the top. And so if you have a compelling book, if it's got that good balance between information and inspiration, that it's, it's full of story and it communicates well um, and people are engaged, then those books are still going to do well. And then the books that are just flat, I think they're going to go flat. But yeah. that's, that's my humble opinion on AI right now. <laughs> well, so that's a long answer to how did I get from being a therapist to be in the book business? Oh, but that, that helps us get a clearer picture of how you became the juggernaut in the publishing world that you are. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, again, I think one of the, the things that I really love is really being able to look at the marketing behind a book and behind a message as the book is, is being created. Because mm. the idea is, like you said, is you want to have impact, but you also want them to come back to you. So if yes. you're putting your message out there, how do you get them to come back and what do you do? Which is really a function of marketing. It's marketing the book. But the, the bottom line, the book is just a vehicle. It's just a yeah. 
I mean, it's really communicating what your message is, but it's doing it in a, in a way that has mass appeal, high perceived value, low price. Um, mm-hmm. And right. you get an opportunity to engage with people in a way, masses of people where you wouldn't otherwise. So Right, right. You know, it's for a lot of people, because of the relatively low price point, that will be their first introduction to you. Absolutely. And then and, they can and, and what you have to offer. Right. And then you talk about lifetime value. So if you you know you invest in your book and then they buy their book, but they've spent twenty dollars, then are they willing to 10x it and spend two hundred dollars? Right. And then are they willing to, you know, like whatever. So it ends up being, you know, a very functional lead gen, but it only works if it's quality. Like yes. it only works if it's quality. And For so sure. and and you just you reach Again, when Steve and I did the Bezos letters, and, and I've written a lot, of, I mean, I've probably written 17 books. So I've written a lot of books, <laughs> um, which is why my hair is white. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I look at that book and Steve and I had no idea. Now, I will give that it's about Amazon. So that really is a hook. But we're in 19 languages now. That's amazing. languages. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like the impact of words on people around the world. Like, yeah. you know, you can use the word global impact and go, oh, this we're having global impact. But when you think about it, it was like, okay, people are getting touched and encouraged and, and they learn all around the world. Like we could never have done that right. just by ourselves, but one, one small book did it. And yeah. so it's, it's really that sense of, for us, it's, it's giving back and giving, you know, giving the message and having it have impact. I mean, there's, there, for me, there's nothing better than that. For sure. Well, that's what I'm hoping with my, with my first book that's coming you know, out soon. I'm very excited. Has, everybody has their first book and I, oh, yeah. I, I love books I'm author. So. And it's, uh, and, and I don't mind, I've shared the title a couple of times on here. I don't mind sharing it again. It's uh, the F6 secrets of relationships, identifying ways to recharge, restore and rescue deep connections. Yeah. And that's what it's about. It's my, it's not all of my story, but without this story, you and I actually wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah. Because this podcast wouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Among other things. Yeah. Which is why you need to keep reading fiction. Okay. See, <laughs> folks, I'm, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I have taken a mental note about reading fiction to help me focus in on and develop more story because story is important. So, see. I always learn something in every interview I do. I've learned more than that, but I definitely learned that. So one of the things I was wondering about for folks who've never written a book before, just just on a on, on high overviewing kind of level, describe for us what it's like to, to write a book. What's that process like? Well, you know, without trying to scare anybody away, it's sort of like bleeding all over your keyboard. <laughs> Uh, but that's probably not the best motivator for people. Um, I get I get super hyper focused, and so I get a little intense when it comes to books. Um, you know, I again the reason I'm pausing is because I'm thinking when I think fast. That's what I do. Um, so, if a person is looking to write their first book, um, I am a Scrivener fanatic. Scrivener is a is a software, and if you're a Mac person, Scrivener is a, a software that works. Like if you know iPhotos, like if you've got iPhotos on your on your your screen, like you can create an album and you can throw pictures, various pictures into an album. Mm-hmm. Scrivener does that with text. 
And oh, so you okay. create like you you can create they're called folders and you put information in folders. You put a, do a folder for stories, you do a folder for topics, you do a folder whatever. And then because of how it's how it works, you can move those folders around. Hmm. I think what happens with with first time authors is they feel like they have to work in a linear way, like in a Google Doc or a Word Doc. So chapter yeah. one, I was born in Washington, D.C. It, like it, mm-hmm. they feel like they ha- it has to be linear. And what I found gives is, is super helpful is to think of a book like a jigsaw puzzle and you, mm-hmm. you your corners and you make sure you know what your corners are. And then you fill in and create your border. And then you can kind of fill in the middle and see what happens. So it's not a linear process. And so when you have a tool like Scrivener, and that's the reason I, I, I've written lots of books in Scrivener, is because I can go, oh, you know what? I thought that was the conclusion, but honestly, that's the opening. And I click and drag. Okay. And I put that as the opening. And so now, instead of having to go, oh, that was chapter 17, and now I have to cut and paste this and move this over, like... You just, you have a fluidity. And so I'm an, an advocate for that because then I feel like it, it ends up being a repository where people can just dump ideas and stories and concepts and whatever, and then you can flush it out and you can mm. go, oh, I can see this. I can see this emerging. And then you, you get to a point where you go, oh, this is making sense and I can see it. So I, I think for, for many people, that linear approach can be very confining. And they're like, okay, I need to know what chapter one is. I need to know what chapter two is. I need to know the process when I really think it's really honing in the message and then all the little messages and then putting it in the order that makes sense. Sure, sure. I could see that. How many books have you ghostwritten? Oh, I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. 10, 12. I don't know. Lots. Okay. I'm just curious. No. Um, um, I now did, is that is that something that like would be you forget <laughs> would, would would that be of interest or has it been of interest to folks who have a compelling story but for whatever reason they're apprehensive about writing it or maybe it's a time factor or it's, I, I don't know all sure. the different reasons so so I would say it's a it's a um like a normal bell-shaped curve Okay. You've got people that love to write and they're like, I express myself well in writing and that's what I want to do. The other end, you've got people that go, I can talk all day long, but I cannot string two sentences together. That's not my world. And then you get people that sort of in the middle. One of the things that I that has, has happened that I, I really love is there's no shame in using ghostwriters anymore. Mm. Like people just go, you know, that's not my area of expertise. And so they'll use a, a ghostwriter. So you find somebody who it is their area of expertise and you get them to do it. And if they're a good ghostwriter, um, and, and this is what I'd say is the most important thing, it's not the information, it's your voice. Like, can they capture your voice? Can they know right. who you are and what you're trying to communicate? And great, I mean, they're not cheap, but great ghostwriters can do that. They pull the voice out of you. Like they can figure out what that, that voice is. So your your message has your persona. Um, a lot of people, when they sit down to write, I, I had an author recently who had a collaborator and bless her heart, she was a very engaging, warm person and she mm-hmm. would sit down to write and and it was like she was back in college and she was writing, mm-hmm. a, writing a paper and she kind of went into this, you know, I've got to write my, my, my theme sentence and then I, it, like, it was very, it was, um, 
I don't know what the right word. It was constrained, you know. Okay. And so it was like, oh, and and you know, there are tools now that that are, and, and this is why, like the the most important person in the whole process is the editor, because there's so many tools now. You can you can speak into something, get it transcribed in Otter, go through them, get your points. Like you, there's so many tools you can use. But a good editor will. I mean, the best people, the best writers have the best editors. Like if you're mm. really good, if you're a really good writer, you don't scrape on editors because you know that that's what's going to help your message to be better. And so there are lots of tools you can use out there. And then there are people that can pull your message out for you. And there, and I've got another author that I'm working with right now. She's a brilliant writer, but she leaves things out. You know, like she mm. doesn't know what she doesn't. She's so involved in it. She can't see it. That's why a good editor will um, will, will bring that out. So, you know, it depends on on what you're looking for. And and again, ghostwriters today, there are lots of people that are doing ghostwriting that are really good communicators um, and they can help you take your message to where you want to be. There are also ways that you can write that make it a whole lot easier than it used to be. So mm. it's both extremes. Gotcha. Did that question? It did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about the editing process when it comes to a book. Sure. Let's say, you know. You've, you've got the idea, you got it fleshed out, it's out there, it's in something that resembles a manuscript. You hand it to an editor. What happens? Sure. Well, there, there are different kinds of editors. Okay. Um, and so at kind of the highest, highest level is, are really the developmental editors. And a develop, like we were talking about before, like sometimes your conclusion should actually be your opening. Like mm. your developmental editor will really give you that 30,000 foot view of your manuscript going, okay, you've got a great idea. It's you haven't explained it well here. You've over explained it here. You know, you you need to put this in this order. This doesn't really make sense. I've got questions about they'll give you that perspective on your manuscript to go, oh, okay, I I can see that. Because all of us, we can't see the forest for the trees. And mm -hmm. so um so that's that's what that kind of edit editor will do. There's another line editor, um sometimes called a copy editor. They it gets a little confusing. Those are the people like you could be a great writer, but you need somebody to look at each line and make sure that it makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. did you say it right? Is it the right words? Is it, you know, is it the right, you know, is it, it is it the right words for what you're trying to communicate? Yeah. And a Does line, the tense match? And okay. Yeah. All of, yeah. All of those yeah. things. And then you get down to a proofreader formatter. And I, I've worked with this woman who's a, for years, she's a great proofreader. And honestly, at the end of the manuscript, she may not even know what she read because she's not reading for content. She's only reading for for spelling, punctuation, grammar, like all of those things. Okay. And so like at the end of the book, she'll be like, I, I think that that was a good book, but I didn't really read it. She didn't. <laughs> she it. And you need somebody that, that can do that. That's really helpful. I have a really low threshold for books that are not proofread <laughs> um, because... Because, and let me explain why. It's always about like when the, the reading process is what I, for me, is very um, visual and, uh, and very auditory. You're creating pictures in your head. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing. And sure. so, again, that's why story is important. You're creating the picture. You, 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 that's helping mm -hmm. you get that picture in your head. And what happens is, is that if a book is not written well, or it's got mistakes in it or typos or whatever, you take somebody out of that reading process and mm. then, or, oh, that, that's not how you spell that word. Or, 
you know, that doesn't make sense or mm-hmm. I don't understand that. And you take them yeah. out of the reading process. And then what happens is you open them up to somebody saying, mom, and then you go, okay, I'll read that. I'll get to that later. And they put it down and they never get back to it because mm. whenever something stopped them from reading, the goal is always to keep them reading, like keep reading or keep them wanting to read. Have you ever stayed up late at night? Like, because you're in a book and you don't, oh, yeah. you don't want to put like, that's the goal. You want to keep them yeah. reading. And so if you have mistakes or errors or a book is too hard to read, the words are too hard. Um, mm. If somebody doesn't know what words re- mean and they have to stop and think about it, you just open them up. You yeah. open them up to go, oh, oh, to get distracted. And then they don't come back to the book and then you lose them. I mean, you've got a great mm-hmm. opportunity, which is why um, there, I think it was Mark, Mark Twain. One of my favorite sayings was, um, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> and it's really true. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to write, just write lots of stuff than it is to really hone it down and get it to, in a way that can communicate and communicate well. And so, you know, we're looking as a publisher, we're looking for manuscripts that are between 40 and 60,000 words. That's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of our goal for, you know, for books. And um, and, and that target, you know, if you get, you know, if and again, I, I always assume this. Everybody's tired. Everybody's tired. And so <laughs> they have they if they're going to give their precious time to reading something, it needs to be. Um, and again, I'm not talking about simplistic. I'm just talking about easy, easy to read, easy to understand so that they stay with it um, because they've only got mm. a limited amount of time and energy. Right. As you can tell, I can talk about books all day long, John. <laughs> I, I kind of figured you probably could. You know, the, the way I, I look at it, um, I use three words instead of 10 because if three words can communicate what 10 does, that means I have over three times as much time left to do something else. So why wouldn't I want to honor somebody's time by doing that? And it's funny you mentioned the uh, the part about there being things like grammatical errors and that sort of thing in books. I got a book one time as a gift. It, it was when I was married. This was early on in our marriage. I, I'm a big movie buff. Mm-hmm. And so my my then wife uh, got me this. It was a really cool book. It it was movie quotes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was, I'm digging in this thing and I'm reading it. I found seven errors, not spelling errors. The quote attributed to the wrong characters. Ooh. Seven of them. That's sloppy. And I actually, now this was, this was so early in our marriage that um, this was like, the internet barely existed at that point, barely existed. And so at that point, I didn't know how to communicate that way to the publisher. So I actually wrote a letter. Oh, wow. And I, and I, and I told him like this page, this quote you have attributed to the wrong. I never heard back from them, of course, but, um, but I let them know. And I, thank you. I, I appreciate that you did that. I will tell you how that happens these days. And and why it's really important, because these days that happens in Amazon reviews when people review a book. So if they don't oh. get frustrated with it and they feel mm-hmm. like it's correct, they're going to put it in the review. Yeah, you didn't have that option back then. Have that option. And so for me, I always tell my authors, you want it as clean as possible, because if it's not, you're, it's going to show up in your reviews and you're yeah. you're you're going you're to get docked for it. 
because yeah. people want it to be correct. And it, and if they they find lots of error, errors, they're gonna they're gonna put it out there. Yeah, they are. Thanks for listening to the Relationships and Revenue podcast. This is the end of part one of my interview with Karen Anderson. I can't wait for you to catch the rest of my conversation with Karen. So be on the lookout for part two of that same conversation. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.